0: So my desire tonight is not to really look to the future of the Revelation. That's what Mark's doing on Wednesday night. But rather, my desire is to talk about the identifying signs that are going on right now. These things that point us to those things in the future that we have been studying in the Revelation. And I want us to begin and read a passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. And this is a direct uh, exhortation to us who are Christians. This is not something that that, uh, is, is for another group of people. Paul is writing to the church So this is very personal to us, and it is particularly personal to us in this time, in this day, and in this season. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read from the King James Bible, because it says what I want it to say. Paul said, I fear, and this was a fear that he had concerning those of us who are Christians I fear lest by any means as the serpent, and that is a biblical sign of the devil, and when it is spoken of as being the serpent, it is always talking about the deceiving power of Satan. Satan deceived Eve as a serpent. So Paul has identified the devil as the serpent. I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled or thoroughly deceived. It's it's not a mild, just misunderstanding. It is a thorough deception. As he thoroughly deceived Eve by his trickery, by his schemes, and, and a word you would understand is he's a master con artist. If you've ever dealt with a con artist, a con artist A con artist can make you uh, snared with lies, trickery, deceit. And so Paul is talking about the work of Satan here. And he said, I fear that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And here is what the serpent, the devil, does. For if he that comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have never received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, he said, I'm praying that, that you won't get caught up in this. I'm praying you're going to be aware of this and you will not be snared by the trickery of the enemy. And so what is is spoken of here is a word to us who are living today because we are the church. Uh, we, We have not yet been taken out of the world. And Paul addresses a very real danger that all of us face. And he is identifying a time and he's identifying a season. And he likens us to a A woman a bride who is engaged but not yet married and the marriage would be this event of the rapture of the church when we Christians are taken to heaven and right now we're still here so we're like an engaged bride to be we're not yet married we're waiting for that event what Revelation deci- defines as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Paul said, now there's a danger here. And he said the danger is there's going to be the presentation of another. And, and that word another does not mean an alternative choice. Uh, it doesn't mean more of the same. Like I could say to you, Do you want another piece of pie? And it just means more of the same. This word, another, means something that is totally different. It has never been before. It is something that is not even of a kind that has existed before. And he said there is coming this, this thing which, which is a very danger to God's people. And it is this presentation of Another. Now, you have to be as old as I am to understand that another, because uh, next month I'll be 82 years old, so I've lived a long time. And this world I'm living in in 2021 is nothing like the world I was born into. I sometimes feel I'm in another place, another planet, among other uh, people, because it's nothing. Uh, like that world of 1939, growing up in the 1940s, a teenager in the 1950s, a mother uh, in the 1960s to two young sons. And and in this presentation of another, uh, Paul said there's going to come a complication of the simplicity which is in Christ things are going to get very complicated. And there has been a complication because today, uh, things are not like they were in my childhood. You were either a boy or a girl in my childhood. It was very easy to determine. Uh, Just take off your clothes and look in the mirror and you knew whether you were a boy or a girl. I think today there are 69 genders a 69 genders, ways that people identify themselves sexually. Would you agree with me that's complicated? Yes. Would you hate to get up every morning and try to decide what gender you are out of the 69? Very, very complicated. And, and I just use that as an example uh, of what has happened in my lifetime. Uh, I'm speaking from experience. This is my lifetime. You younger people don't understand this. I understand uh, 2 Corinthians 11 perfectly. There is this work, this kind of con work, this trickery, this scheming that is presenting to us another. And then Paul tells us this another, it, it, it has specific aims. It's not just going to work in the culture uh, in, in just odd kinds of ways. It's very specific, and it is very religious. Yes. And Paul said, there's going to come this this scheme, this, this work of the great con artist, and he's going to present another. And then Paul tells us what the three anothers are. And he says, first of all, another Jesus will be preached. So immediately, we're in a religious setting here. Jesus is very much a religious figure, and preaching is something that is done in churches. Another Jesus will be preached. Now, we who are Christians believe in Jesus, but we are never allowed to decide uh, what kind of Jesus he is. We are not allowed to tamper with the Jesus which has been presented in the Gospels of of the Bible, the Jesus that that God has presented to us in in the person. We cannot tamper with that. The truth about Christ is not allowed to be changed. It doesn't matter how, how the culture changes, how the uh, problems of humanity change, the one answer to cultures and to humanity is the Lord Jesus Christ as He is preached in the Gospels. And it is sacred, it is holy, and it is not to be touched. As Christian people, we have certain things that we are required to believe about Jesus. We can't choose to believe or not believe them. We must believe he is the eternal son of God. He did not become the son of God. He is eternally the son of almighty God. We must believe that he was born of a virgin. We must believe he led a sinless life. We must believe he died an atoning death. We must believe he was resurrected on the third day. And we must believe he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is the only way to salvation. We must believe this. And we cannot tamper with that. And Paul says there's coming a time when when that is, is all going to be changed. And another Jesus will begin to be preached. And the end result of that preaching of another Jesus will be this man who appears in human history as the Antichrist. And he will come and and will be the another Jesus. And you and I are living right now in this work of another. This thing that is going on today in our culture it's very much the work of another. And it is this work that, that is done so that this Antichrist can come. And it's happening now. It's happening in the culture. The second another that the Apostle Paul spoke of, he said another spirit will be received. Now we understand there is only one Spirit. And that Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sacred. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. Right now, the affairs of Father and Son are in the hands of the Holy Spirit. This is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And the one work of the Holy Spirit is to point those of us who are born again to the Christ. Uh, uh, He lifts up Jesus Christ. It's the sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He draws us closer to Christ. And the Apostle Paul said, there's coming a time when another spirit will be received. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And just like the Holy Spirit comes and he moves to present to the world Christ, there is at work the spirit of the Antichrist. And he has, this spirit has two main functions. Number one, it will be a denial of Jesus. Jesus. And all of the claims that I said to you about Jesus will begin to be denied. So that there will come the idea, there will come the teaching that Jesus is not the only answer. That Jesus is not the only way. That, that there are alternatives. And the this, this spirit of Antichrist works in an evil way just like the Holy Spirit works in a godly way. And he, first of all, will deny the true Christ. He is anti-Christ. It's very specific. He will deny the true Christ. And his work will be to push the true Christ out. And and there's this thing where the, the true Christ will be pushed out, leaving this huge spiritual void in the hearts of people. And then the second work of the spirit of Antichrist will happen. He will push the true Christ out, and then he will substitute the false Christ in, in its place, against and in place of. When you read about the spirit of Antichrist, remember he's against and he is in place of. Now, again... I I have the advantage uh, of my age. Some of you don't have advantage of age, and there is advantage of age when you've lived a long time because I've seen that happen. When I was in school, first, second, third, and fourth grades, every uh, Monday uh, when we attended class, Our teachers required us to have memorized the Bible verse over the weekend, and we would say our Bible verses, and then she would pray over us, first, second, third, fourth grade. And prayer in school was normal. No one seemed threatened by the Ten Commandments. Uh, No one seemed uh, out of joint by, by, you know, things that were uh, very common, the appearance of a cross. Uh, the prayer over football games, praying in the name of Jesus. This was my childhood. This was my youth. 1962, prayer was banned in schools. And that was the work of the spirit of Antichrist, pushing it out, pushing it out. And, And that began in 1962. And you can just follow political law Uh, There's just been this pushing out of prayer. Ten Commandments banned from public buildings. And I never understood that. Why were they afraid of something written on a wall? I mean, there's nothing there that's hostile. There's nothing that says you have to worship the one true God. It's a good way to live. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Honor your mother and father. Those are good principles. And yet there's something very antagonistic toward those spiritual things. That is the working of the spirit of Antichrist. Now, uh, we, we have to understand this spirit is against Christ. Right. It, uh, it, that's what it says. The Antichrist is in place of Christ, and the spirit of Antichrist is against The true Christ. So, the only way, the only place the spirit of Antichrist can work is where Christ is preached. If you go to countries where uh, there has never been the preaching of the gospel, the spirit of Antichrist doesn't work there. We call that paganism. They're pagans, meaning they've never heard the gospel, they've never accepted anything from the gospel. But when you come to a place where Christ is preached, like the United States of America, in the South with churches on every corner, the spirit of Antichrist is very active because that spirit is against Christ. And wherever Christ is preached, whether it be inside of a church building, inside of a school building, in a stadium before a football game, or on a wall in in a, a public building, that spirit works to deny and to push out Christ. That is the second another, the spirit of the Antichrist. And then the Apostle Paul said, there will be another gospel which will be received. Another Jesus another spirit, and another gospel. Now, I don't know that, you know, the Bible ever gives us a word that defines this another gospel. The closest I can come to it is when the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, talking about the time in which we live, the very perilous times. And he describes the complete collapse of society. Go back and read it sometime. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. It is the collapse of a culture. Children, disobedient, hatred, Uh, just all kinds of evil things, and he comes to the end by saying there will be a form of godliness, but there will be no power to it. And that is the another gospel. It is the preaching of an outward form uh, of uh, being right, of being correct, which is absolutely not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said this another form of gospel is going to be preached and it will have no power to it. It will never be able to change the hearts of people. It will never be able to bring the act of redemption. And so in this present time in which we live, we find ourselves in this time when this spirit is working, and the spirit is working against the true Christ to deny and to push him out, and this spirit is working to present a, a false form of godliness. And we're seeing it in the world today. We're living in the midst of it right now in 2020. It's no mistake that in the Revelation... The last church that Paul, uh, John addresses in chapter 3 is a church where Jesus is pushed outside of a church and he's knocking on the door of a church trying to get in. And that is a very good picture of what is happening at the end of the age. Jesus pushed out of the Laodicean church. Knocking on a door, trying to get in. It's the work of the spirit of Antichrist. It is the preaching of another gospel. Now, let's go to Second Thessalonians. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. And we're going to see the workings of Satan. Because all of this is the workings of Satan. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, Even him who's coming is after, and I want you to note this, the working of Satan. All of this is the work of Satan himself. It is with all power, it is with signs, and it is with lying wonders. There's something very supernatural about the workings of Satan. All of it is wrong. All of it is ungodly. But nevertheless, uh, it has power. There are signs. There are lying wonders. And it is with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now one of the weak places we can have as God's people is we don't understand the enemy. And I do not think we have to you know, do major studies about the enemy. But I do think we need to know our our enemy. Anything I I know about warfare is that warfare begins with understanding who opposes you. And we must see the very deliberate workings of Satan. Satan is not this uh, kind of spirit that's just shooting in the dark, hoping that something happens. Satan has a plan. Satan has a goal. Satan has a purpose. And Paul said, this this spirit of Antichrist, this denial of the true Christ, this another gospel, is a work of the devil. And the devil uh, has come... to to work toward this ultimate goal that he has. And I want us to understand that. Satan has this ultimate goal. And what is going to happen is Satan is going to produce the lie. This is the end of Satan's work. This is where all of this that is happening in our culture right now another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, is going to culminate in what Paul identified as the lie. And the lie is going to be a counterfeit Christianity. Because when when this void is created, and Jesus has been pushed out, and the Holy Spirit has been pushed out, and this other gospel... There's this huge empty place in people, this place that was intended by God to be occupied by himself, and Satan will occupy it. Hopefully, uh, not in the way that God would, but he would occupy it with another. And Paul calls it the lie. And he says there's going to come the lie. And, and then the lie, and I'm sure Mark will uh, teach this when he's in Revelation 13, because that's where we were last week. In Revelation 13, there is the appearance of the dragon, who is Satan. There is the appearance of the Antichrist, who is identified as a beast. And there is the appearance of a false prophet who points to the Antichrist. And uh, this is a counterfeit. Christianity, the dragon, the devil, is the counterfeit of God the Father, the unseen power behind it all, the Antichrist is the counterfeit of the true Christ, that which is revealed in the flesh, and the false prophet is the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit, because when we read Revelation 13, the false prophet points the world to the Antichrist. And we must understand that Satan is not creative. Satan does not have original ideas. He is a counterfeit. And he has taken something that is true and godly and holy, and he will counterfeit it. And God teaches us. And I hope you... Latch on to this tonight. I hope you hold on to this because this is crucial for all of us. The protection against all of that masterpiece of deception, and it will be Satan's masterpiece, is to love the truth, to love the Bible, to know what it says. And you, you have to know that when God deals with you, he presents to you truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And there's a real counterfeit to that truth. And when God offers truth, uh, and we reject it, God, people reject it, there's nothing else God can offer. All he can do is tell you the truth. And if you reject the truth, then the Bible describes it as strong delusion. You will end up believing the lie. And I've been a Christian since I was 15 years old. And I can tell you, I've seen that work out in people's lives. If you reject truth, the only other avenue is to believe the lie. And there is a generation that is coming that will reject truth. The Bible will no longer be relevant. People will no longer want to hear truth. And the only alternative is this masterpiece of deception the false Christ, the, the dragon who represents God the Father in a false way, and the false prophet. Now, this man, Antichrist, is not identified in Scripture. We're not uh, told who he is. I've done quite a bit of study about it. I have some ideas where I think he might appear in the world. I do not have any idea what time he will appear. Uh, Is he alive now? I don't know. Because God does not tell us that. We are not given uh, insight into times that this, this man will appear. But the Bible does clearly describe his character. Uh, The Bible doesn't give us a name. The Bible doesn't really uh, give us a lot of information about the time. But the Bible identifies the character of of this coming satanic world ruler. And the Bible does this by giving certain titles. Uh, The Bible won't call him by a name like Bob or... John but the bible calls him by titles and the bible expects us to understand what is meant when these titles are given to him now in second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 here here is one of the titles that is given to him paul says there let no man deceive you for that day the day of christ's return shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin. And and here's the first characteristic of the Antichrist. He is identified as the man of sin. Now that word sin just doesn't mean bad acts. The literal meaning of that word is rebellion and lawlessness. He is a lawless rebel. In other places in the Bible, uh, it, it talks about this. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24. And in verse 12, he says, There is a mystery of iniquity. And that is another word for this lawlessness. And this Antichrist is a man who is against government, He is against law, and he is uh, uh, against order because he will be a world ruler, and there will be no governor but Antichrist, and he is a very lawless man. Now, we see the beginnings of this in our own country because we've watched in the days past how lawlessness has increased in our country. We've watched it in our cities. Uh, we, we have watched this, this sort of bad attitude toward law, order, government. And there's all kinds of controversy about that. There's all kinds of sides about that. And this is the working of the Antichrist right now, presenting this lawless kind of attitude this lawless kind of uh, demonstrations, because this man who is coming is lawless. He's against government. He's against law. He's against order. Daniel wrote about him and said he's going to change times, and he's going to change laws, because uh, that's just the way he is. That's his nature. He is a rebel, Rebels do not live under law and order and government. And so when the Bible calls him that, it's letting you know he's a very lawless person. And then in that same passage of Scripture, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul was writing, he he talks about the Antichrist as being a man of sin, And he said, there will be a falling away, that man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. And now he gives us the second characteristic of the Antichrist's character. He is the son of perdition. And there's only one other person in the Bible who is ever given that title. And that person is Judas Iscariot the disciple of the Lord. And Jesus called him this in John chapter 17, verse 12. Praying to the father before he was crucified, Jesus said, those that you gave me, I have kept, talking about his disciples, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, meaning Judas, because he did lose Judas. And he said, this was done that the scripture could be fulfilled. Now, what the Bible has done has taken that title, son of perdition, and has put it upon the Antichrist and his character. Now, let's understand this by understanding Judas. Judas was one of the 12 apostles of the Lord. Uh, To me, uh, the story of Judas is one that just... I always desire to pursue it further than the Bible lets me go. Uh, He was one of the 12 chosen by by Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that he moved with the 12. Uh, Jesus sent the 12 out to preach and Judas preached. Jesus sent the 12 out to do miracles and Judas was right there with them doing miracles He actually was trusted by the other disciples and the Lord himself to handle the money of Jesus' ministry. He was the treasurer of the group. And, of course, Jesus knows everything, and Jesus knew uh, where it was going. And on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus said at the table with those uh, 12 disciples, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas was so uh, adept at covering who he really was. He was so smooth in the way that he operated that not one of the 11 knew who the man was. And, And they began to say to Jesus, Is it me? Is it me? And the Bible says, and this is brought out later, that the one who got up and left the room during the, the Last Supper was the one that was the betrayer. So then the scriptures said this Antichrist is a son of perdition. And this says to us that he, he's evil. There's not going to be anyone who's ever like him, but he's going to appear good. He's going to appear okay. I personally believe he he will in some way, Antichrist will have some kind of connection with even the true church. Uh, Because when he comes to the world scene, he's not going to be seen as a demon, an evil man. He's every bit of that, but he's like Judas. He's very smooth. And he is a betrayer. And this says to me that there's some kind of trust that was put in him to handle truth, and he betrays it. Uh, I don't know exactly what all of that means, but he's like Judas Iscariot. He is a a very real son of perdition. Uh, We won't read it, but read 1 John chapter 2 tonight and it says there, talking about the Antichrist, it says the Antichrist has not come yet, but there are many Antichrist, meaning people who act like him, who are motivated like he is, not the Antichrist, but there are many who operate. And then John says, how will we know who they are? He said, they went out from us Because they were not of us. And that's what Judas did that night. He was the only disciple that left the room. And he went out from the true to do the false work of betrayal. So I have, you know, no word from the scripture exactly how the Antichrist is going to come, uh, exactly how this will all work out. But I do know this, he will appear religious. Because remember, he is the working of Satan. And if there's one thing Satan knows how to do, it's religion. He doesn't know how to do Christianity, but he's a master at religion. So the Antichrist is going to have a lot to say about God. He's going to have this appearance. Uh, of being, you know, a good guy. Uh, you know, people are going to be drawn to him. In in John uh, chapter 2, it says in, I think it's around verse 22, who is he that denies Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. So here's the key. It, it's... The Father and the Son. The Father God, Jesus Christ, his Son. And he denies that. He'll have a lot to say about God. He will appear to be godly because he is anti-Christ. That's a a very uh, word, Christ. And he will have a lot to say about God. But he will uh, deny the truth the father-son relationship. And he will deny that Jesus is the son of God because he's going to put himself in the seat of God. And he will deny that. So the characteristic of the Antichrist, he's a man of sin. He's a son of perdition. Revelation 13.1 gives us another characteristic. It calls him a beast that rises from the sea, a beast rising from the sea. Now, there are a lot of definitions for the sea. My simple definition is, in in the midst of turmoil of nations, the work of the wicked are like a restless sea, that when nations are restless, when nations are unsettled, when things and nations are shaking, this beast is going to arise out of that instability. And Revelation identifies him as a beast. And that's not a good word. This man may appear religious. He may appear to be talking about God. He is a beast. He is cruel. He is ferocious. He is untamed, lawless. Not under the control of anyone. He he is a beast. And in Revelation, and when you read it, you need to grab a hold of this, there are these contrasts all through the book. The true, the false. And this beast is in contrast with the Lamb of God. And here's this picture in Revelation of this Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and that which is against him is a wild beast. That, that's just those contrasts. Uh, in Revelation, the true church is the bride, the false church is a harlot, a whore. Those contrasts. And when the Bible calls him the beast, it means for us to remember the Lamb of God who is the true There's an example of this in the crucifixion of Jesus because the Jewish people were given an opportunity to uh, let Jesus go. And Pilate appeared and said, Look, it's one of your customs that I can let somebody be free because it was a celebration of the Passover. And uh, Pilate really didn't want to crucify Jesus. He was the Roman governor of Judea, And he, he said to the Jewish people, uh, choose someone. And they brought this man out of prison named Barabbas. He was a murderer. He was in prison because he was a bad man. And those two were presented to the Jewish people, Jesus and Barabbas. And the Jewish people chose Barabbas. And that choice will be given again at the end of the age, the Jesus or the wild beast. And people who refuse Jesus are going to be shocked at the result because it's not a good man. It's a wild beast, an uncontrollable uh, political leader, a man who is ferocious, a man who is against God. And then the last two, Uh, identifications of his characteristics are a word we've already used. He is the Antichrist. Now, all of end time is going to focus on this man because this man has to manifest for the end to come. And this man will manifest. And the summation of all that the devil is doing right now, all the workings of Satan, all the movings of this another, this spirit of Antichrist that goes on in our country and across the the world where Christ is preached, all of that is toward one end in Satan's program to produce this man. Because we'll see when we end, nothing can move forward to the end until he is produced by Satan himself. And then 2 Thessalonians 2.8 calls him wicked. And I can't think of any better word to describe him. He is a totally wicked person. Now, Antichrist is, is not just a normal man who's gone bad. Uh, The world has already had those kinds of men. Hitler, Adolf Hitler, is a man who just went bad. He was not the Antichrist. This Antichrist will be Antichrist because of his peculiar relationship with Satan. Now, Satan was this angel who was the sum of perfection. If God could ever have reached his limits in perfection, this angel called Lucifer was it. And in Isaiah 14, it tells us the five I wills of this angel Lucifer. And you can read it sometimes. He said, I will ascend into heaven. He said, I will uh, exalt my throne beyond the throne of God. I will sit in the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north, which is where God sits in heaven. He said, I will be like the Most High, and I will be exalted. Satan wants to be worshipped. And you have to understand that about the devil. His final uh, deception is, is to convince people to worship him. Now, in the temptation of Jesus, in the the wilderness, when Jesus uh, was about to begin his ministry, Satan appeared to Jesus and in the second temptation offered Jesus political power. And he said to Jesus in that second temptation, he said, "I, I will show you the kingdoms of the world and all of the power and the glory, and it will be yours if you will bow down and worship me. And I do believe Lucifer, Satan, wanted Jesus. He wanted Jesus to make the deal. And Jesus, of course, did not do it. But there is coming a man who will do it. And I'm sure Mark will go into a lot of detail about that. It's not my purpose to do that. Except to say that this man will make a deal with the devil and these two powerful forces are going to come together in one man. And it's politics and religion. And when you bring politics and religion together in an evil way, it is very destructive. And Antichrist will be political and he will be religious. He will control the world... But he he will be worshiped. And when you worship Antichrist, you're worshiping the Spirit behind him. Right. Jesus said, if you sing me, you sing the Father. If you worship me, you worship the Father. Jesus is the fleshly uh, manifestation of God the Father. He appeared in the flesh. And Antichrist will, will be the fleshly manifestation. Uh, of the the devil. And we're told in Revelation, Revelation 13 1, that here's his relationship with Antichrist. There was given to him a mouth. Revelation 13 5. I think I said 1. Now the mouth is spiritual power. You must understand this about your mouth or you're never going to go anywhere with God. Your mouth is spiritual power. The only way you can get born again is to believe in your heart and say with your mouth, yes. Jesus is Lord. Life and death in the power of the mouth. Blessing and cursing in the power of the mouth. And there's given to Antichrist the mouth, spiritual power. And let us be very sure there is a war for speech going on right now in our country, the mouth. There's a war over that. And that's just no political thing that just goes on because people are crazy today. It's a work of Satan, a war for the mouth, the mouth that speaks, closing the mouth of the right, opening the mouth of that which is wrong. Uh, It's a war because the mouth has spiritual power. Revelation 3, 7 says he was given power over all kindreds, tongues, and nations, that's political power. Revelation says 3.17 said no man can buy or sell except that he had the mark of the beast, that's economic power. Revelation 13.4, who's able to make war with him? Military power, and Satan gives him that. Spiritual power, political power, economic power, military power power. It's the work of Satan. The the Mark of the Beast, I think Mark will teach on this, but it's three sixes, six, six, six. Six is the number of man. Uh, Man was created on the sixth day. And whatever else six, six, six means, it means the rule of man. And there is a philosophy a human thought in our country called humanism. The absence of God, the control of the planet by humans. And that is the working of 666. It's the working of this satanic beast, the Antichrist. Now, we cannot understand the Antichrist, and this is where I want us to end tonight, without understanding the relationship this man will have with Israel. Now, the problem with us here is we're far removed from the Jewish people. Israel's over on the other side of the world. And if we're not careful, we become so focused on what's going on here that we ignore Israel. But Israel and Antichrist are, are these two that are going to come together and the end will begin when Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the Israelis and they are allowed to build their temple. That will initiate the end. Now, you know, we just, we just don't know the history of Jewish people and how important Jewish people are. God made a promise to Abraham way back when that Abraham would have descendants who would become a nation. The nation would have a land, uh, a country. That has never been totally fulfilled. God's got this big covenant promise hanging out that has never been answered by God himself. And uh, if you read the history of the Jewish people, They had been in and out of that land three different times. Uh, They they went into the land uh, back in the days of Joseph, Jacob, the, the 12 sons that Jacob had. And Jacob moved his family into Egypt when Joseph was the prime minister over Egypt. And 430 years later, they were slaves in Egypt. And they left the land... And they went to Egypt, stayed there for 430 years. Moses brought them out, and Moses and Joshua took them back to that land. They stayed in parts of that land, not the whole of it, just the part that they occupy, till Nebuchadnezzar came along and he took them away into Babylonian captivity. And they stayed there 70 years. And there was a third dispersion from the land. The third time the Israelites moved from the land. And that was in 70 A.D. under the Roman general Titus. He went into Jerusalem. He burned the city, destroyed the temple, and took the Jews into captivity. The Jewish people call this the diaspora. They were scattered into nations. And, the, and a lot of them were still scattered. So that's why we have Jews that were born in America, Jews that were born in Russia, Jews that were born in, in uh, you know, Europe, because they had no land. When Titus destroyed uh, the temple, when Titus destroyed the, the city of Jerusalem, uh, the Jews were scattered And they're not going to come back until 1948. And in that time period, uh, Gentiles ruled in that area. The the land was called Palestine. It comes from the name the Philistines. It was not the nation of Israel. It was Palestine. And the history of Palestine is just, uh, you know, we don't have time to teach on it. But there were various people who came in and out and ruled there. The Muslims uh, went there in the 600s, and they built this dome of the rock, this, this temple of the Muslim faith that Mark has showed you pictures of, built over a rock that is sacred to Abraham's people, the Jew, and to the Muslims. Muslims believe that Muhammad ascended to heaven from that rock. Jews believe that's where Abraham offered Isaac. And the Islamic temple sits right where the Jewish temple is supposed to sit. That happened in 600, the 600 AD. Then eventually, the Ottoman Empire, who were Turkey, the Turkish Empire, took over and controlled Palestine until the end of World War I. And in World War I... Uh, at the end of it, there was the distribution of land and Great Britain received uh, governorship of the land of Palestine. And Great Britain declared that if Jewish people wanted to come back and live in Palestine, they could. And some of the Jews uh, began to want to go. Then the great result of Hitler and World War II, is most of the Jews in Europe were killed in Hitler's concentration camps. There were over 9 million Jews before World War II, and at the end of World War II, there were less than 3 million, because Hitler had killed over 6 million Jews in concentration camps. And this put within the hearts of people and within the hearts of the Jewish people that they needed a land. They needed their own country. They could not exist among Gentiles. And there is a prophetic scripture in Isaiah 66, verse 8, that says, Shall a nation be born at once? And the answer is yes, may 1948, the United Nations declared Israel could have that land. And they gave them this little strip of land that's about the size of your finger on the map. And as soon as they gave them that land, in 1948, at the end of World War II, Britain pulled out, they gave it to the Jews, The Palestinians lived there, and they had war. It is called the War of Independence. It started in 1948. And the Palestinians and the Jews began to fight. The Palestinians were supported by Syria in the north, Jordan to the east, uh, Egypt to the south. And in spite of all of those well-armed countries at the end of the war of independence, the Jews had gained land. Because when God gives it to them, it's an end-time thing, and no enemy can take it from them. Because it's an end-time thing. It's not just land. It's not just politics. It's end-time. And then in, in the decree of the United Nations, they divided the city of Jerusalem. It became what is known as an international city. And the Jews owned the west side of Jerusalem, and the Muslims and Palestinians owned the east side. And the east side is where the Jewish temple is supposed to sit. The Wailing Wall, which is the lower half of Herod's temple, it's all that's left of Herod's temple, is in the eastern side of the city and in June 1967 there was a six-day war and the Israelis took the eastern half of the city and possessed Jerusalem and they have it today they own in their own thinking Jerusalem do you know why there can be no peace treaty they fight over Jerusalem uh, the Palestinians want their half back. The Jews will not give it to the Palestinians nor to the Muslims because this is where their temple has to sit. And it will be the Antichrist who will appear and solve this issue. Presidents have tried to solve it. Countries have tried to solve it since 1948. I don't have time to give you the history of Israel. There's been one war after the other, the Yom Kippur War. They are fighting today, and they cannot agree about Jerusalem because the Muslims want their their half back and the Jews will not give it to them. And it is this man, Antichrist, that will come and who will make peace. Now, the last scripture I'm going to read from Luke 21, and it's going to be a parable of a fig tree. And the fig tree is a symbol of Israel as a nation. And Jesus speaks this, and he said in Luke 21, verse 29, Behold, the fig tree and all of the trees, and he's talking here about the nation of Israel, and all of the nations that spring up around them, when these nations shoot forth, when this fig tree, the nation of Israel, shoots forth, you say and know of yourselves that summer is nigh. Because you see fig trees blooming. Summer is on its way. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh, and it is at hand. Now, the fig tree, Israel, began to bloom in 1948. And Jesus said then, when you see it begin to bloom, he said, know that it's really close. Well, what are we, 70, 70-something years beyond that? So if it was close in 1948, how many believe it's closer today? Now, let me say this about Israel. Israel is a sign to us. It's a time clock. Mark and I were talking one day about everything that was going on in the world. I said, Mark, the real danger is nobody pays any attention to Israel. And I said, we need to watch Israel because what goes on there is like a clock telling us how close we are to the end. Jerusalem is significant, great conflict over that, and you and I are here to be a part of it. So I pray over you that you'll love love the truth, that you'll just be so connected to the truth and to Jesus that no devil in hell can ever uh, sway you or tempt you. You'll love God's church. You'll love God's people. And I just have a feeling when it's all over and done with, everything's going to be all right. Well, that's as good as I can do. I may not be Mark, but Mama's in the house tonight. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.